0: Well good morning. how everybody doing this morning you happy you cheerful you ready to go I feel excited i'm i I keep thinking that uh this isn't very sanctified but uh uh the aerosmith song i'm back in the saddle again i won 't sing it for you but I feel like i've been out of it for uh For two weeks now, and I feel a little out of of my funk. I I normally do most of the preaching around here, and so it's good to be back in the saddle again, so to speak. I'm excited to get a new series underway. We're going to look at the Ten Commandments. Now, I don't know where you're at in regards to the Ten Commandments, but I have a sneaking suspicion that you might think a lot like a guy named A.J. Jacobs. In my research for this message, I was I fought back to a, a podcast I listened to a while ago. There's a gentleman who wrote a book called The Year of Living Biblically. And here's the guy. That's the cover of, of his book. I, I cropped him out there or whatever. But you can read it. It says, one man's humble quest to follow the Bible as literally as possible. Now, this A.J. Jacobs is not a Christian. He's Jewish in the sense that he was born a Jew. He's not practicing, but, you know, he's he, genetically speaking, He's Jewish. And he thought, I'd like to write a book, and so he decided, I'm going to live biblically. I'm going to try and obey the commandments and all of the commands of the Bible. So he spent a month reading through all of Scripture, every command, little and small. He wrote down, and he was like, I'm going to try and live it out. So he didn't shave his beard for the whole year, right? Because Leviticus 19 says something about not shaving your beard. And he threw pebbles at people that he knew were committing adultery to fulfill the law of stoning the adulterer, which is <laughs> super awkward and kind of funny. I, I don't know how that went. I didn't read the book, but I heard an interview that he did about it. So he talked about doing that. He didn't touch women that were impure, right? Because the law says if the woman's impure, if she's in that time of the month or whatever, don't touch her, that kind of stuff. I have no idea how he figured that out, the level of purity. Again, super <laughs> awkward. That, that sure sh- that score, uh, uh, sh- skirts, too short, not shaking your hand, no way, not doing it, right, so I don't know, I don't know what, how he figured that out, he didn't wear garments of mixed fabric, there's a law in Leviticus that talks about not mixing fabrics and all of this stuff, so the Under Armour underwear that are like spandex and cotton, which will change your life, by the way, if you're looking for a Father's Day present, TMI, I know, but he couldn't wear that kind of stuff, he couldn't, he couldn't do any of that, okay? So he, he tried to follow all the commands, as literal as possible. The big ones, the small ones, the Ten Commandments, no lying, no coveting, no stealing. I'm, I'm imagining that he didn't do all of this perfectly, right? But everything, he tried to read it big or small. And again, I didn't read the book, but as I listened to the interview, he wasn't overly negative about the Bible. He actually said out of all the projects that he did, this was the most life, life-transforming one that he did. But when he spoke about the law, when he spoke about the Ten Commandments, when he spoke about the Bible, he gave this vibe that it was basically just kind of annoying and not that helpful, right? Just kind of this annoying thing that he did, and it wasn't that helpful. And I, I think that most of us, when we think about the scriptures, especially the Ten Commandments, this is kind of the view that we have. We know that they're there. Yeah, they're, they're good, but if we're honest, we're just kind of annoyed by them. They're like, they're, they're a cage. They restrict us. They're annoying. They limit our fun, and we want to be free. We want freedom. We need to break free of all of these things that God has for us to do, right? And so this is why I want to spend 10 weeks unpacking the Ten Commandments, because our culture, and it's not just culture, Our culture and our hearts, if we're honest, it would tell us that God's word and his rules are like a cage, restricting us. And the Bible actually says the reverse is true. The commandments aren't prison bars, right? They're more like traffic laws. Can you imagine what it would be like to try and drive on the road if there were no traffic laws, no right-of-way, no stop sign, no guardrails to protect us? no crosswalks, no stoplights. You couldn't drive. It would be chaos, right? At least you couldn't drive with any amount of safety. It would be insane. It would be insane. The laws of God are like traffic laws. They're not prison bars. They're they're more like tracks for a train. If if a train comes off the tracks, you could say, well, that train is free, right? It is free in one sense, but it's not going to function very well without the train tracks. God's laws are like water to a fish. Can you imagine a fish looking up at all of us humans saying, man, I'd love to get out there. Right now, he'd probably be okay because we're, like, we're drowning in water. But, but typically, say, like, this water stinks. I want to be on land, and so I want to be free. And he would be free in a sense, but he also would be condemning himself to death. This is what God's laws are like for us. This is what his commandments are like for us. They're like traffic laws to the road. They're like tracks for a train or water for fish. God's laws aren't meant to restrict our joy, rob our joy. They're meant to be protections, guardrails meant to protect our joy. They show us the way of life that leads to human flourishing. And they also reveal the broken state of our hearts. They point us to the reality that you and me need a savior. We need someone who's going to save us. You say, why is that? Well, have you ever tried to keep just the Ten Commandments, just the Ten Simple Rules? Have you ever tried to keep them? Have you ever tried, or have, have you wake up in the morning, have you ever desired anything more than you desire God? Have you ever looked forward more to a trip or vacation or sporting event or sleeping in or a good breakfast than coming to church on a Sunday morning? That's the first commandment, right? Have you ever altered anything in the Bible that made you feel a little uncomfortable? He said, I'm just gonna let this one slide. Not that big of a deal. Or is there anything in your life that you can't live without that's not Jesus? That's idolatry, second commandment. Do you ever drive in a way or speak in a way or live in a way that is dishonoring to the name of God who you claim to worship and follow? Taken God's name in vain, you've dishonored His name. We're zero for three so far, right? It's not looking good. Ever work seven days in a week? This, this is one we kind of like to brush aside. Ever neglect to give your time and money? Ever neglect to set aside just a little bit of time once every week to focus on God to worship Him? Just keep the Sabbath. Ever dis- disrespect or honor or dishonor your parents? or anyone in authority over you, traffic cops, our president, from the other side, our last president, (laughs) right? What about, have you ever murdered anybody? And most of you are thinking, oh, of course nobody's done that. We don't know. There could be someone here this morning who's done that. That is possible. And while the others of you who haven't physically committed the act, you think, oh, okay, I'll chalk one up on the wind column. Well, hold on a second. Jesus said, have you ever thought ill or wanted for someone to be harmed? This is the same thing. You're guilty. It's just like you, you murdered him. You say, well, wait a second. I didn't actually go through it. I just thought it. That's just a matter of the heart. Exactly. God says, in my heaven, in my paradise, I don't even want murderous thoughts there. Not just the action. I don't even want you thinking about it. Broke that one. Broke that one too. What about purity? Some of you might, again, want to say, I haven't committed adultery. I haven't done that. And Jesus, again, says if you've looked at a woman lustfully, you've committed adultery with her in your heart. That means if you've ever looked at pornography, Have you ever fantasized about having sex with someone who is not your spouse? You've broken that commandment. Guilty. Ever steal something that's not yours? You say, ah, another one I haven't done. I've never shoplifted. Well, hold on a second. You ever steal time away from your employer? You know what I'm doing. Scrolling through the feed? You ever do that? You ever lie? Do I need to even say anything about that one? Ever been jealous of what some other person has? Are you always thankful about your lot in life? Have you ever been grumpy and complained about where you're at? Folks, we are zero for zero when it comes to just keeping the Ten Commandments. We break every one of them every single day. You say, I knew it. Here we go another pastor, another hellfire and brimstone message, more stuff that I get to feel crappy about for the week. Now just hold on a second, okay? Don't check out on me. It gets better. It gets better. It's gonna be okay. You see, the truth is, the commandments, they do show the state of our heart, and it's an ugly picture. It is not not a picture that any of us feels proud about. But the problem is not with God's commands. Imagine with me for a moment what if the whole world, what if the whole world kept each one of these commandments? What if they were able to follow it perfectly? Think about this. We wouldn't need police officers. There would be no murder, no violence. There would no, be no need for lawyers. No contracts. Everybody would keep their word. Nobody would be suing anybody. Wouldn't that be amazing? Everybody sues everybody today. No, there would be no need for that. No need for it. There wouldn't be any broken families, there wouldn't be any divorce, there wouldn't be any need to discipline your children, right? Because your children would respect you and honor you as your parents. That means no terrible twos, no toddler fits, no moody or disrespectful teenagers. Can anybody say amen to that? Come, Lord Jesus, right? If that doesn't make you long for Jesus, the Father's in here this morning. Come back, Jesus. No disrespectful kids. They respect your authority. Can you imagine a world with no backtalk? It would be amazing. It, doesn't, it would be amazing. It would be an amazing world if we were able to keep these 10 simple rules. See, the problem isn't with, our rule, with these rules. The problem is that these rules have no power to help us live them out. They are powerless to produce obedience in us. Clearly, look at the world, watch the news, read Twitter, don't read Twitter. It's a terrible place. It's a terrible place where people say terrible things. The world is broken. Clearly, we cannot keep these commandments. Now, I know that's a bummer, but if we look to the commandments for what they're supposed to do, if we allow them to be the sign, to point us past themselves to Jesus, the message gets a whole lot more encouraging. You see, the commandments are meant to show us our need and get us to say, who will save us? Who will help us? Who will help us? And that's where God screams from heaven, Jesus! Jesus will help you. I sent my son to help you. He will empower you. He will help you live out all that I've commanded him. Trust him. Delight in him. Love him for the help that he wants to give you. Now some of you say, wait a second. I thought because of Jesus, we're free from all of this lost stuff. None of it applies anymore. We don't have to eat kosher. We get to eat cheeseburgers and bacon. Praise him, right? (laughs) Praise him. We get to wear... Underwear that's made out of polyester and spandex. Praise him, right? Right? We don't have to we do not have to grow our beards long. All the ladies are like, praise Jesus. Shave those things, they're gross. Right? We don't have to keep these commandments. What's going on? Why are we spending a whole series talking about the commandments? Jesus fulfilled all that. We're free. And that's actually a decent objection. But I want to shed some light on this. And this is where. People will come at the Bible, if they don't understand the scriptures, and they'll be like, you don't, you're hypocrites, you don't keep all of the law anymore, what about shaving your beard, and wearing the fabric, and all this, see, let's throw it all out. What they miss, and what they don't understand, and what I want you to know, and equip you, so when people make that objection, you say, actually, that's not true, here's, here's God's law, here's how we think about it, here's where you're right, and here's where you're wrong, okay, so this is what you need to understand, it's a good objection but following it to the conclusion that we just throw out all of God's word is not the right conclusion. It's inaccurate. See, there are three categories of law in the Old Testament. I've shared this before, so if you remember it, awesome. Most of you don't, so I'm going to re-educate you on that. There are three categories of law. The first one is the ceremonial laws. These are the laws that deal with the killing of goats and sacrifices, washing your hand, not touching impure people, all of that stuff, Okay those were meant to be symbols that point forward to Jesus. Then there's the civil law, the laws that God gave to Israel, where it was a theocratic nation, which God was king, he was in charge, and so he made the rules about justice and righteousness and, and courts and how all of that's supposed to work. The civil laws, the ceremonial laws, have been fulfilled in Jesus. We don't need the symbols anymore, because they were symbols were pointing to Jesus, and now we have Jesus. So we don't need the symbols, because we have the real thing. And We don't need the civil laws because we're not under a theocracy. In fact, until Jesus comes back and heaven's reinstated and the theocracy is reinstated, all of those laws, we we can't live them out. And so those are fulfilled in Christ. They're not binding on us anymore. We can still learn from them about who God is and justice and righteousness and who he cares for and maybe some good principles about how to set up our government and all of that stuff, but that's not binding, okay? So... The beard stuff and the garment stuff and not eating bacon and that stuff, that's all part of the laws that have been fulfilled in Christ that we no longer hold to. And then there's the moral laws of God, which the Ten Commandments fall into. These are the laws that declare what is good and right. Okay, now we know God never changes, right? The God of the Old Testament is the God of the New Testament, one and the same. That means what God said and has declared to be right is always right. Always. It's still bad to murder. So you shouldn't murder. That's still a binding commandment. What God says about sex in the Old Testament is still binding in the New Testament because his view of purity hasn't changed. It's the same. It's one and the same. And so these laws, the Ten Commandments, are still binding in the fact in the essence, that they declare what is good and righteous and holy. You say, now wait a second. You just said the laws are, they're they're powerless to produce in us obedience. That's true, and that's why Jesus came. That's why Jesus came. The difference now, because of Jesus, is that before, these laws were powerless to produce in us the goodness that they set before us. But now, because of Jesus, who lived out these laws perfectly, when you and I put our faith in Christ, he enables us to actually live these things out every day of our lives. So while we're no longer under the curse or the penalty, the condemnation of the law, we can't, pre- com- we can't perform these things and earn God's favor, and we can't be condemned by them either if our faith is in Jesus because he's performed them for us. He's performed them for us. And so now by faith in Christ, Jesus gives us the power to conform our lives to these laws and these standards. And in that way, in Christ, by faith, we're still under the law. We're still under the law. So my hope for you in this series is this. I want to remind you and refresh you on what God's commandments are. If you're like me, I try to list all 10 of them. My first attempt was a failure. Say, how is that possible? Well, I should know those, but I didn't know them all. I missed a couple. So I want to refresh and remind you what God's commandments are. And I hope that you will come to see them and appreciate them and understand them more fully. I hope and pray that you will come to delight in the laws of God and appreciate the way that they protect and give life and enjoyment. I also hope and pray that God will use these 10 rules over the next 10 weeks to highlight how ridiculously short, you and I fall from God's perfect standard. Not in hopes for you to feel condemned, but so that you can more fully understand how much we need Jesus, and that you might be more overwhelmed with gratitude that Christ would do what he has done for us. So with that in mind, I just want to quickly look at the first commandment with you. If you have your Bibles, open up to Exodus 20. It'll be on the screen as well. We'll read just three verses real quick and and kind of unpack it for you a little bit here this morning. Exodus 20, verses one through three, it says this. And God spoke all these words. I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. Now, we can't just start in Exodus 20. If we just started here, with this list of rules, then we would be like every other religion that exists, right? We'd be like the Muslims, like the J-dubs, the Jehovah's Witnesses, the Mormons. (laughs) not heard that abbreviation before? J-dubs. The Jews, the Hindus, the uh, the Buddhists. We'd be like all of them who come at God this way. They say, do this and God will bless you. Don't do this and God will punish you right? This is how every other religion works. And so we can't just start with the list of rules in Exodus 20. We need to pay close attention to verse 2. Verse 2 points us beyond Exodus 20. The people of Israel, just prior to the giving of these commandments, they were in Egypt. They were slaves for 430 years. They were the slaves of the Egyptians. Now, God didn't come to Moses I say, okay, Moses, here we go. Here are the 10 rules. You go to my people. You say, here are the 10 rules. If the people keep six of them about 80% of the time, then I'll come. And I'm going to rescue them. That's not what happened. That's not what happened at all. No, God said, my people are in slavery. They've been there for 430 years. They can't do anything. No one has done anything for them to get them out of that. I'm going to save them. I'm going to come, I'm going to deliver them. You say, what do the people of Israel do? Nothing. They cried out to God. So God comes and he saves them. Church, this shows us that God is not after our obedience so that we can earn his love. These commandments are given in the context of salvation. You say, where's the gospel in the Old Testament? It's everywhere. God saves. And then he calls people to live up to the standard. He saves, and then he calls people to live up to the standard. You see, there are two reasons, as J.D. Greer puts it in a sermon that I listened to this week. He says there's two reasons that people obey the commandments. One is they obey to be accepted. The other one is they obey because they have been accepted. Every religion in the world, except for the gospel of Jesus Christ, teaches that if you obey enough, you will be accepted. But the Bible reverses that teaches a fundamentally different kind of obedience different than any other religion it says obey not in order to be accepted but because you have been accepted in other religions obedience is the reward for acceptance is rewarded for obedience in christianity obedience is a response to acceptance you see god doesn't love you more because you're obedient the fact that he loves you and accepts you is what is supposed to make you obedient. Do you see this? It is vastly different than the world thinks about religion. And it's because God isn't just after our obedience. He's after a new kind of obedience. An obedience that comes from love and delight in God, not from threats. This really makes sense, sense if you think about it. As every parent or teacher knows, Coercing a child's behavior through fear of punishment is shallow and short-lived. It doesn't work, not in the long term. It only lasts until the kid is out of your presence. And shallow and short-lived is not what God wants. He wants you to obey from a heart that delights in his loss. And so before we talk about the commandments, please consider the truth that before Jesus, without Jesus, you and I are and we slaves to sin slaves to sin but now because of Jesus you and I have been chosen we've been set free the bible says you've been ransomed redeemed rescued purchased right paid for loved and accepted made pure made holy you've been adopted into a new family because of Jesus through faith in him that's your standing That's your standing. You've become royalty. You've got an inheritance coming your way. You're trust fund babies. If you're in Jesus, you've got a trust fund. It's beautiful. And then, this is what we need to understand, and then we go to the commandment. So with that understanding, the first commandment reads like this. Because of what God has done for you, don't have any other gods. It's kind of logical, isn't it? Think about it in terms of Israel. I know we don't think we're slaves. Slaves of sin, that's kind of an out there concept. So think of physical slavery. Think of Israel, physical slavery. Who saved them from Egypt? Was it their willpower? Was it their money? Was it Baal or Molech or Ashtoreth or Zeus or Poseidon or any of the other gods that are out there? No. Was it Pharaoh or some other king? Who loved them enough and was powerful enough? Ten plagues parting the Red Sea? Who is powerful enough to deliver them from Egypt? God, Yahweh. So God says, don't have any other gods before me because I'm the one who saved you. I'm the only one powerful enough. I'm the only one who loves you enough. I'm the only one who actually did it. Don't have any other gods before me. Now, this doesn't mean that God is number one among many. Imagine if my wife came to me, and she, she wouldn't, but imagine. Imagine if she came to me and she said, Levi, this really just isn't working out for me. The whole marriage thing. I mean, I love you, but I'm just feeling too restricted in this marriage. I'd like to see other men. Where would you like these other men to fit in relationship to you? Would you like them to be beside you, equal to you? I will just treat you all the same. How about, how about over you? You know, you'll be less than. How about under you? You'll be number one. I'll still love you more than all of them, but I'm gonna have other relationships, okay? Where do you want these men to, f- to, to stand in relation to you? To my response, my response to that would be, it's like, how about at the end of my fist or under my boot, right? I'm the only man in this marriage. I'm a jealous husband. There will be no other men in my marriage. It's just me. Now, none of you would be like, that's crazy. then you'd be like, yeah, you should. Get him hard, right? Sock him again, right? That's how, this is, this is what God is saying. When he says, no other gods before me, he's not saying, I wanna be first in your life with some other gods beside me or behind me. in front." No, no other gods. I will be your husband, your only husband. There will be no others. There will be no others. I love you like a husband loves his wife. I don't want any other dudes in this marriage. I alone am God. And there's not gonna be any other gods in this relationship. Mark Driscoll put it, pastor I still like to listen to sometimes. He says, God doesn't look at Israel and say, okay, here's the most important thing, you. You draw a circle for me, you put your name in it, right? You put your name in the middle and then everything else is gonna orbit around that. I'll be out here, I'm just gonna be, I'm gonna be God, I'm gonna be blessing you, doing whatever you want. You want sex, you want money, fame, power, cool, great. I'll just be out here, you sit on the throne, I'll be the butler, You ask me to bless your request, and I'll answer it. We'll call it prayer. And that's not how this works. That's not what God says in the first commandment. He actually says, he says, okay, draw a circle, put my name in it. Put my name in it. What this means is that God doesn't just want to be the top of our priority list where we can say, okay, I checked my God box. Now I can live my life however I want. Okay, I went to church Sunday morning and checked Now, I'm going to do whatever I want from here until next Sunday and then come back. No. God says, draw the circle, put my name in it. I want to be the center of your life. Not just number one, the center. I want to tell you how everything in your life is going to relate to me. To me. Since I'm the center of your life, let's talk about how you worship, let's talk about your money. Let's talk about your marriage. Let's talk about your possessions, what you own. Let's talk about your real estate, your cars, your kids, your family. Let's talk about your sexuality. Let's talk about all of that in relation to me. See, everything has to be connected to him. And according to the commandments, as you'll find, if you choose to sin, you choose to suffer. You choose to suffer. See, there's only one God. He wants to be the center of your life. We're to have no other gods before him, not after him, not beside him, not around him, God only, period. Now, pretty much when all of us read this, we'll say, well, I was back then. Of course God would tell those people that. They had all those statues and the little shrines with the thing. We don't have any of that, right? They're praying to the, the Baal and the Asherah guy, the Mo Zeus. We're not that primitive. Come on, Pastor. We're so much more sophisticated than that. Really? Really? Let me suggest to you that you and I worship the same gods as these primitive people just by different names. Just by different names. In the same way that the Israelites made sacrifices to Baal for for fertility, we make sacrifices to the same God. We just call him pleasure instead of Baal. Or leisure. Or me time. Or the American dream. See, Satan, he's just done a rebranding campaign, is all. The same demons are behind all the false gods. They're just going by different names. To quote another pastor I read this week, he says, Here's how this works. We all have some concept of hell, we have some concept of heaven, and then we run to some God to save us from our hell and put us in our heaven. Now, to quote a really popular theologian of our day, Beyonce, all the single ladies, all the single, put your hands up. Okay, I'm gonna use singleness. I'll stop singing, I'm sorry. I'm gonna use singleness <clears throat> as an example here. The single ladies, okay? The single ladies, maybe you're a single lady, you're a single man, and your view of hell is this, being single. No boyfriend, no potential husband, no children, just cats. That's hell for you. I don't wanna live like that. Your view of heaven, marriage. A boyfriend, it's the opposite of that. A boyfriend a fiancé, a husband, babies, and no cats, right? So your thought is, I've got to get out of this hell and get into my heaven. And so you run to a functional God boyfriend. You throw your arms around him. Save me, right? Never leave me, never forsake me. Bless me, be the center of my life. Make my life worth living. Unless I'm married, I'm worthless. And so you look to the functional God. And single folks, if you've ever met a single man or a single woman who says something to this effect, run, run away. That person is nuttier than a Snickers bar. You can't, you can't live in that relationship. It's doomed. You say, why? Why? Because the only person that can fulfill that resume, never leave me, never forsake me, bless me, be the center of my life, make my life worth living. The only person who has that resume, who is capable of doing that, is Jesus. So if you try and be in a relationship where someone's like, be Jesus to me, and you're like, "Ah, I'm trying, but uh, I can't be. I'll get close, but I can't follow that. Run away, run away. You see how this works? A woman can say, Jesus is my God. We can say that with our lips, but then we look at our lives and the functional God can be somebody else. It could be a boyfriend or the idea of a boyfriend and a man can do the same thing. Do the same thing. Do the same thing with a girlfriend, with a wife, with kids, with a job, with health. We can run to functional gods and serve saviors, gods that are not God, saviors that cannot save. So don't read this and say, well, you know what? That was a long time ago. Most foolish people, they had their statues, they picked false gods, and they went into slavery. We may say we worship Jesus, but our actions and our behaviors sometimes reveal that there are other f- functional gods we're serving and worshiping with our lives. So let me ask you, who are your functional gods? i got a list of questions here to help kind of reveal what's going on. Reveal... What functional gods you might be serving? How do you answer these? Who or what do you live for? Marriage? Children? Family? Promotion? House? Beauty? Sex? Pleasure? Comfort? Leisure? Sports? Peace? You say, wait a second. Those aren't bad things. No, they're not. But when good things become God things, then they become bad things. Who or what can you not live without? I have to have them. I have to have it. Don't take it from me. Don't take them from me, functional God. Who or what do you run to in times of need? It's been a horrible day. It's been a horrible day. I just need to get in my chair, to watch a show, to pour a drink, to get to my heaven for a while, functional God. What causes your highest joy and your lowest grief in life? See, our emotions betray us here. Yes, I got it! No! It got taken away from me. Unless it's Jesus, it's a functional God. Functional God, not the actual God. Who or what is at the center of your life? You say, well, I don't really know. Well, what does your schedule orbit around? What does your budget orbit around? What does your emotional life orbit around if it's not jesus it's a functional god if you're like me and you discovered that you do indeed have some other gods in the marriage so to speak before the only one and true god don't freak out christ died for this he died for this admit it before him and then cooperate with him to be freed from the worship of these lesser things you say well how Here's a couple pointers on how to put functional gods to death in your life. We put functional gods to death in our life by trusting God's truth, by believing the truth that God has for us. You see, God is the only one who has the power to save you. Money can't do it. More stuff can't do it. Sex can't do it. Marriage, divorce cannot do it. You can't save yourself. God is the only one who can save you, and in Christ, he has. He has. He has set you free. So please, Christian, don't say, I can't change. That's not true. That's a lie. In Jesus, you are changed. You're a new creation. So cooperate with Christ's spirit in you to live out who you already are in Jesus. Put the functional gods to death by trusting God's future. This is a tough one. Don't fear the future. You say, well, at least I know what slavery is. I don't... I don't like it, but at least it's comfortable. At least I know what my past is. I don't know where my future future's going. I don't know what God has for me. It might be uncomfortable. I don't know if I want to trust that. Trust it. Trust in Christ's future for you. He has a plan for you, and it's good, and it's for your good. Put functional gods to death by clinging to your identity in Jesus. Stop clinging to the old you. He's dead and gone. There's a new you in Jesus, You say, well, if I make Jesus the center of my life, then my friends and my family, they might make fun of me. They might disown me. They might might belittle me. Don't cling to your old identity. Don't say, I need to be true to my family. I need to be true to my history. I need to be true to my race. I need to be true to my culture. I need to be true to my cause. I need to be true to my tribe. No, you have a new tribe in Jesus. There is only one God, and He alone is the only one worth living unto. All that matters is what He has said about you, and this is what He said about you I am God, and I have brought you out of Egypt. I have saved you. You are my child. You are free. Put functional gods to death by renewing your mind with the truth of the Scriptures. Don't practice self deception about your past slavery what it was like. It's unbelievable, and we'll see this as we go through Exodus. Israel, God does all the crazy stuff, gets them out into the wilderness, they start to get a little hungry, and they start reminiscing about the good old days. Oh man, remember what it was like in Egypt? We had bread to eat, our pots were full of meat. Oh, that was, that was awesome. Remember when we were slaves? Wasn't that the best? You're reading it and you're like, What? are you serious? Do you? Pharaoh whipped you and beat you and told you to make straw or bricks without straw. It was terrible. It was terrible. But they get out into the desert and they start to suffer a little bit and God does what he normally does. He's working, but in the backgrounds and we can't see it all. And they start thinking, man, remember the slavery that we were, that was awesome. No, it wasn't. It was terrible. And going back to it is going to be terrible. Don't let yourself be deceived. Renew your mind with the truth. That means let God tell you what is true. Let Him show you what reality is. Don't trust your selective memory. God, what was that really like? Remind me of what my life was like before I had you. This is huge. You can think about it. I fall into this sometimes too. You see people chasing the American dream, having bigger houses, you know, drinking and partying on the weekend. And party says, "Man, that'd be kind of that'd be kind of nice, wouldn't it?" And the Holy Spirit comes in. And he says, "Are you kidding me? That's slavery. Don't no. I'm gonna bring some. Remember what high school was like? No, I don't really remember because I was drunk. Them. Exactly right. Remember, let God." Bring back memories of your past without him. Don't selectively remember. Sla- slavery is always slavery. It's bad. You don't want to go back to it, okay? Let God set reality for you. Don't trust your selective memory. Let's wrap up here. God spoke all these words. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery have no other gods before me may you all experience the freedom of christ this week live free lord jesus help us to love you alone as our god let's pray father god thank you for these words thank you for this reminder thank you for the picture that you give us of our hearts father if we're honest most of us think we're not that bad right? We're not like so-and-so down the street or the rapist or the murderer in the news. We're not like all of those people, right? But when we look at the commandments, we're reminded that we're just as guilty before you. Thank you for that. Thank you for removing the condemnation that the law put us under in Christ. Thank you that you've saved us, that you've made us a new creation, and that you want to empower us to live on the train tracks, to be free as we were meant to be free, to be free to live who you made us to be. I pray for this series, Lord, that it would encourage our hearts, that you would help us to experience more freedom, that you would make us more obedient, not from threats, Lord, but out of a place of gratitude. We love you, we praise you, we pray all of this in the name of Jesus and for his glory and our joy, amen.